Good morning, everybody. So glad that you're here. Happy Sunday. And uh, especially, it's a, it's a great day to be here, as they were just telling you, because of the expo that we'll have next door. I should say, uh, welcome in this room, welcome next door in the communion venue, welcome online, however it is that you're here. This is a great on-ramp Sunday, and I'm really glad that you're here. So why don't you take your Bibles, and we're going to go in Mark chapter 2, all right? And the ushers are going to be come, coming, and they will be glad to spot you a Bible if you need one to borrow or to keep. It's yours, our gift to you. Mark chapter 2 is where we're going to go. But before we go there, I, I was just going to share with you something that happened last week um, that caused us some uh, consideration in our planning meeting. In one of the services last week, Lizzie Bailey was leading up here on the music, on the worship, and during a prayer moment, she got a little bit touched, which is not terribly out of the ordinary for any of us who are up front. Sometimes the spirit moves and you just feel a little touched, but she really got touched. So later in the week, we were talking, and because I wanted to understand what what were you sensing? And she said to us, you know what I was sensing? While I was praying, I just sensed these burdens that so many people are carrying, carrying burdens about their marriages, carrying burdens about their health, carrying burdens about their loved ones, just such, such heaviness that I was feeling. And I could just, I just felt the compassion of Jesus wanting to touch them and, and help them and and so, and so she was sharing this with us, and, and we were all touched and, and sharing in that. And so let me tell you what we're going to do before uh, my message is, is, uh, is finished. We're going to have a time for just some uh, extra time for praying, not just tacking it on the end, which many times we do, and many of you take advantage of that, but many of you don't. And I want you to come and let us pray for you. Our prayer partners are going to be here. Sometimes I think you probably say, well, I don't, to yourself, I don't know what I would say if I got up there. Well, you just say hi. I'm Ken, or I'm Joe, or I'm Nancy, and I need prayer about this. And we would love to pray for you. And if you need healing, we'd love to anoint you uh, with oil, as James uh, 5 talks about, if any of you are sick, uh, let him or her call the elders to pray over them and anoint them with oil that they may be healed. And so we're going to do that uh, at the end. But first, I want to talk to you just a little bit about uh, community and particularly uh, looking uh, at something in chapter 2 of Mark. So let me read you this account, and then we'll talk about it. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people had heard that he had come home, and he gathered, they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. And some men came, bringing him a paralyzed man carried by the four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, digging through it, and then they lowered the mat that the man was lying on. 
And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so then he said to the man, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. The man got up, and took his mat, walked out in full view of them. This amazed everybody. They praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, there's really two things I think worth talking about in this passage. And so uh, let's address first the more theological question. And that question is, why do you suppose that Jesus asked that question that he asked to them? Well, he, he, he says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? Well, it'd be easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's no way to prove it, right? Your sins are forgiven. Well, how can we look on the inside of your heart and see did your heart get expunged from sin? We can't really know it. And Jesus knew while he was picking up fans and followers that were packing the house and even the outsides of the house, looking in, listening in, trying to understand what, what, is, what is going on with this man, Jesus, and wanting to have more information. He also was picking up some people who didn't like him. Those were the leaders of uh, the Jews, and they could not stand the fact that he was stealing so much of their thunder. Jesus knew what they were thinking. They were thinking, wait a second. This man's most obvious problem was that he is paralyzed. Why did this Jesus come along and now he just says, your sins are forgiven. Who can do that? Nobody's allowed to forgive sins except only God is the only one who could forgive people really of their sins ultimately. Only God could do that. And besides, how could you prove that you did it? Ah. Well, what if the man there was God? Incarnated, personified, with skin on him, right there. And what if then he coupled something you can't see, the forgiveness of sins, with something you can see? differentiating himself from any number of traveling miracle workers who were just pulling rabbits out of hats like people still do today. He went for something far deeper and grander and more profound theologically. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, everybody can see the next thing that's going to happen. Take up your mat and walk. Well, this, of course, was one of the first of many dominoes that we're going to tip culminating in the crucifixion of Christ because the Jewish leaders couldn't stand this. 
the fact that he could say it, and then he could back it up. And so even early on here in the book of Mark chapter 2, you know the rest of the story. You can say, okay, the dominoes are already tipping, and they're going to be working towards his demise. Now, that's as much of the doctrine or the theology of the passage that I want to look at because I want to move to a more practical uh, look at this passage. In particularly, I want to look at the four people, the four friends who were carrying the mat of this paralyzed man. There were four of them, it tells us in verse 3, and it also tells us <clears throat> that they were pretty creative because they couldn't get into the house. They went around to the side, and all the Middle Eastern homes had a little stairwell up the outside, and they just climbed up there, and they decide we're going to be real creative, and we're just going to start dismantling this thatched roof on top of this house a foot at a time, square foot at a time, till we got about two feet wide and maybe about six feet long, and we'll just strap our ropes up to each of these four corners, and we're just going to lower him straight down between Jesus and the crowd. Very innovative friends. Now, I had to ask myself, as one who speaks publicly and preaches and talked to other preachers and other public speakers, and the question is asked, does it bother you when there's crowd noise? Well, the answer is yes, it does. It bothers you when you're, when you're trying to take people somewhere and have them follow your thinking, and then there's commotion and this sort of thing, everybody's looking around, and, 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 and so yes, but I find it fascinating that this, which must have been a lot of commotion with debris falling in on the floor and people looking upward, and, Jesus doesn't get mad at him. In fact, it says he looked up and he liked their faith. That meant something to him. And it was because of their faith and their faithfulness to their friend, taking the pains that they took and going to the lengths that they went to get him in front of him, that he healed them. So this has me thinking about the question I want to ask you right now. If you were the man lying on that mat, who would your four people be? In your own heart and mind right now, who are four people that you could count on who you say, well, he'd be there for me, she'd be there for me, that person would be there, they'd carry the mat, and then they'd, they'd take me to Jesus, and, 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 and who would your four people be? I want you to think of that. And as soon as you have your four people in your mind, I want you to stand up. No, not really. I'm not going to make you do that. But my, my concern is that probably any number of you say, I don't know that I've got four. Well, how about three? How about two? How about one? See, my concern is that there's any number of people who, who know the Lord, love the Lord, and yet they don't know any other believers and are friends with other believers who would be there for them. Now, some of you, you say, oh, no, no, I, I got my four people. Let me ask you this. Were not some of those people your family? Nothing against family. But the exercise that I want to push you to is subtract your family, your relatives out. Do you know some other brothers and sisters in Christ 
who would carry your mat. And flip it around and ask yourself, who are you a rope holder for? If somebody had a problem, who would you be there for in 30 minutes to help them out? Who would you drop anything and everything for to go and help? Now, the reason that I mention this is because as we are talking about community today and and helping set out some on-ramps for people to get in community, I really, really, really have a concern, and that is that something has happened in the American church and something has gotten lost in translation. Let me explain uh, what I mean. You remember, uh, even from perhaps childhood, uh, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors, where's all the people, and here's the church. And What is the church? The church is the people. But when I say the people, I don't mean necessarily and, or exclusively only the people here gathering for worship. That's the tip of the iceberg, where the church really becomes something transformational and contagious is when you get out of sitting in aisles and you begin to cluster in circles with five or 10 or 15 people who know you by name and you know them by name and who pray for you and you pray for them and who encourage you and you encourage them. And, and these, this is really what makes the church something that is so unique and so Distinct, but I think something happened, and I think it was only exacerbated um, during the pandemic. And that is, I, I believe that many people, American Christians particularly, began to think of the church as just a service that happens on Sundays, where people can go and hear good music and sing and hear a good message and be inspired and learn some things, and then they go out. And they treat it very little uh, differently than, than a, a, a membership to Costco or Sam's Wholesale. And, and it's just like, well, I, I just go there to get my uh, goods and services dispensed. And then I, then I head out. But see, that was never what the church was intended to be. Now, this really is, I'll tell you, when I really got thinking about this, I took my boys to get their hair cut a year or two ago at Great Clips, and I got talking with a hairstylist, and uh, he was working on one of the boys, and I said, so how's the business here at Great Clips? He says, well, better than it was during the pandemic because, uh, well, you know, he had to shut down for a while, and and that's terrible, and I was like, yep, and uh, he said, so we... we, uh, you know, we're back. I say, 100% back? He said, no. No, 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 no. I said, how much back? He said, probably 70%, maybe 75%. I said, is that so? He said, yeah. And he says, we don't know that the other 25 or 30% are ever coming back. Why is that? He said, D-I-Y. People learned how to do it themselves when it comes to their haircuts during the pandemic. The moment he said that, I felt the, the, the whisper of the Holy Spirit just say to me in a way that I've come to recognize, you better listen and you better think because there's going to be application for you. I guarantee you the application had nothing to do with my hair. The application had to do, I was pondering that and it struck me, I'm afraid that's what many people particularly in the pandemic began to think of church as. It's just the dissemination of 
a service, especially when all the churches went online and especially those that, get, that got pretty good at it. And we were really good at it. And we had a little goggle box and other churches are like, how are you doing that? And we're like, well, that's really creative, you know? And, <laughs> and, 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 you know, we were having fun with it. And, and, but in hindsight, I look and I say, oh my gosh, I think that may have lost some things in, in translation for people about what the church is. The church is definitely a worship service. And that's where it starts. And I'm glad for a packed room here. And I'm glad for those of you who couldn't be here today. You'll be online. That's great. But that is not the, the totality of what the church is. Not even by a long shot. The, the, the totality of church has to do with when you get down into the smaller group where you know some people and they know you. Now, why is this relevant? Here's why it's relevant. Because Sooner or later, friends, you are going to be lying on the mat. And you're going to need some people who could be your rope holders and who could carry you to Jesus. And this is my concern with, uh, I guess, the, the thought that is common these days about church. Even recently, I, I, I ran into a guy in a different, unexpected place. And he was like, Pastor Ken. He identified him. He said, well, hi, how are you? I, he said, you know, we haven't been there since the pandemic, but we do watch you. And I was like, oh, well, that's great. Well, come back in person whenever you want. But, but as I walked away, I thought, what I mostly hope is that you're still in your small group. Because I'm fine. If you want to be, some of you have said, you know, we're here on the Sundays that we usher, that we greet, and then we'll watch. That's fine. But what I really want to make sure is that church is not just a Sunday service, whether you're here in person or whether you're online, but that you're realizing it's more than that. It's the community underneath all of that that I wouldn't want you to miss because the day will come when you will be lying on the mat. I remember during the pandemic, I beg your pardon, during the Hurricane Harvey, that's when this one happened, I pulled up uh, to a friend's, uh, parked a car, he'd lived down, he was down on Cypress Wood and where there's such low lying property and so much flooding and it was just disastrous. I pull up and he's bringing out all this, all soaking wet. And I got out and I just like, oh, I'm so sorry. He said, hey, thanks for coming, Ken. He said, you know, we just figured it's our turn. It caught me off guard, but I thought about it and I was like, that is really very good theology. Why is that very good theology? It's good theology because Jesus himself said in the Gospel of John, in this world you will have trials and you will have tribulations. You're going to have to, but I've overcome the world. And so be of good courage and be of good faith. And, and, and so here's the reality. All of us, it, it will be our turn to go through hardship trial, suffering, sooner or later, it's unavoidable for all of us. So back to the original question, who are your four people? 
Who are your three people? Two people? One person? I want you to have some people and they to have you as well. And that's why we put such an emphasis on community. See, what I want to do is, is illustrate here for you what makes the church so distinctly different from any other organization that you're a part of. Um, you've seen this illustration probably before uh, where I like to draw out. You have mankind on one side, and of course we have the problem of sin. And that means that we are separated or estranged from God who is holy and in whom there is no sin. Oops, no sin. And so, what do people think? They think to themselves, well, I, I want to be close to God, and so what I need to do is I need to do something that, that will uh, make him happier. I'll try to do some good deeds, and I'll try to be generous and give some money away to, to some people, and, and or I'll try to pray a little bit more, and, and maybe I can shoot that gap. And really, this is what every major world religion is trying to do, is trying to help people figure out, well, we figured out how to shoot that gap. What makes Christianity altogether distinct is, of course, the fact that we worship the one true God who said, you'll never be able to shoot that gap. But I could close that gap for you. And he sends his only son to live a life of sinlessness. We couldn't live to die the death of punishment we deserve so that if by faith we would trust in him, we could cross that bridge of faith and come into a saving relationship. Now, why do I mention this? Here's what I want to get to. Um, I think what people don't realize after they've crossed the bridge of faith is that the, 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 the benefit, one benefit of salvation is that you will be with God one day in heaven, saved, justified, redeemed. The problem is, you may not die for 10 years or 20 or 30 or 50 or 60 or 70 if you're young. And so you're saying, if, if that is all there is to Christianity, then what do I do for the next decades? See, that's where American Christianity doesn't understand the benefit of uh, what we're talking about. If you bring one person from this side to this side. What do you have? You have one Christian. You have one believer. Um, one saved person. Now if you bring another person, what do you have? And another, and another, and another, 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 another. What do you have? There's a word for it. You have the church, in the original language, the Greek, it's a word, ekklesia. It means the community of the called. Called what? 
to think of themselves as better than the other people? You people over here. No, that's not it at all. What we are is we're a community of people who realize I'm just absolutely as sinful as the people over here. I was there. I just came to know a savior who loves me in my sinfulness and forgave me and came into relationship with him. And together with other believers, you become the community of the called, called to living differently than the rest of the world, called to a life of hope, called to a life of working to resist sin and move towards holiness. It, this is what the church is. One person has said it is a community of sufferers who simply realize you don't have to suffer alone. That is not a bad explanation. You say, well, it's kind of morose. Well, it, the reality is maybe, hopefully, you won't have to suffer all the time, but sooner or later, it will be your turn. It'll be my turn. Everybody gets a turn in this fallen world of ours. And so then, who are your people? This, friends, is why it always warms my heart when I hear people say, Oh, we've been coming to Faith Bridge for X number of years. We love the servants and we love the preachers and we love the music and da-da-da-da. But, but what we really love, we love our grow group. We've got a great grow group that we're in, or this team, or, or I love going on, on mission trips. I, I have been on three, and those groups are so powerful, which that they are powerful. When you put yourself out of this context, and culture, and you put yourself into a different cultural context, in a different socioeconomic level, with all sorts of different problems, your eyes are opened, you realize how spoiled really we often are in this, war, in this part of the world, and you begin to serve, and you go through a little bit of culture shock, and then, especially when our youth go with the program that we call The Road, about 350 of them or so will go on their mission trips on about 35 different trips because we try to keep it to about 10 or 12 per group. Why? Because in that size of group, 10 or 12, powerful things can happen, especially since we don't allow them to take their phones. And that's a really critical thing. You put those away and now they have to look at each other in the face and they actually have to talk. And that's not a bad thing, grown-ups, for you as well and me because we can get a little bit tech-heavy ourselves. But you put somebody in the context outside of their culture in another place with another 10 or 12 people for a week or for two weeks and they begin to open up and they begin to share life and they begin to serve together and powerful things happen and sometimes some tears flow and there's this love and you watch them come back every summer and there's this transformation. What has happened? They tasted heaven. What is the ecclesia? The foretaste of heaven. At our best, the church is a foretaste of the heavenly community. We're the new community this side of heaven. Now, unfortunately, many times Christians have not lived out our calling to be the called out community. We've not lived it out compellingly. 
but here we're trying to. And I want you to be a part of it beyond just the Sunday. Again, I'm glad that you're here. And I hope you're here every week or online. Glad for that. But I want more than that for you. I want you to experience the real community, the ecclesia. Seemed like there was one other thing that I was going to tell. Oh, yeah, here it is. It comes from Ecclesiastes. Um, there's this verse in Ecclesiastes that says, um, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. That's basically saying Tom Sawyer had it right. Why whitewash the fence by yourself when you can get somebody else to help you? And so you, you want somebody with you. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. What are they saying? He's just saying the same sort of thing as the, as the rope holders. He's saying, I'm not even talking about four. He's just saying, how about one? Some, because if, if one person falls down and you've got nobody, how are you going to get back up? And some of you know people who've fell, who have fallen fallen maybe financially and they didn't have anybody to help them up or a marriage that's faltered and they need somebody or two people to come around them and love them and help them and and work on it but there was nobody to help them up or a moral lapse or a sobriety lapse and there was nobody to help them up or a health problem and you just say, I can't, I just, it's just too much, I can't carry it. I cannot carry it by myself, either of yourself or your loved one. And you need some people who can say, I'm here with you. I'm going to help you up. We're going to get through this together. Friends, this is what the church has always been meant by Jesus to be. Not a distribution site for goods and services, although we do do plenty of that, but a transformational community. And so in a little while, about 15 minutes, I'm going to turn you loose and they'll open up the, the ministry expo and I want you to go next door and peruse the opportunities and talk to some people and say, well, maybe I might try your group or this one or that. But before that, I told you, before I was done, we were going to have some time for prayer. Because though I can't get you into a group in this room, or online, or in the communion venue, I can pray for you, and our prayer partners can pray for you, and, and we want to do that. Because we do believe many of you are carrying burdens. Well, you tell us that. We read your prayer cards every week. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I'll ask our prayer partners, would you come ahead and just get into place? And then the musicians in both rooms are going to lead us. We'll sing a couple of songs. I'm going to say, don't, don't go out. They're not ready for you at the expo, and, and uh, I don't want the, the, uh, the bantering. Let's just engage in worship. You come forward. If you feel like you would like someone to pray for you, we'll do that. And if you're not coming forward, you still just sing away and you put your eyes and your heart 
on a person or two that you see, and you just lift them up. Even if you don't know them, you say, Lord, I don't know what their burden is, but I'm just lifting them up even as they're going forward right now. And let's just watch God work. Lord, thank you for the gift that you give to us of the community, the ecclesia of the called, the church. My prayer, Lord, is that even in these moments, um, we would feel your presence doing a healing work, wherever it is that we need, marriages who need healing, health that needs healing, finances, jobs that need healing. We're, we're coming to you and we're pleading. And then, in a little while, we'll dismiss to the expo and my prayer is that many, many would step across the line and identify themselves and say, you know what, I think it is time for me. I, I would actually like to make a friend or two and meet somebody and, and try getting plugged in around here. Because all of us need a friend. All of us need some rope holders. All of us need to be rope holders for others. That's who you created us to be. So once you work in our hearts now, even as we move into this time of prayer, in Jesus' name, amen.